Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. G'day everybody, welcome back to the pod for another week. I'm Matt Walsh here with Jake Michaels and champion daughters Christian Jolly to talk all things footy. Lot to touch on today, Jake. Oh, you say it every week. I reckon I've been saying this every week for the last year. This might be the biggest. I reckon there's more talking points out of the last uh, five days than we've had. I'm going through the run sheet and like... Damien Hardwick to the Gold Coast doesn't have its own little section, and like that's almost to the criminal. Gold Coast. Yeah, I'll, I'll allow that. He goes He's going to, to the, the Gold Coast, Coast to coach the yeah, Gold Coast. Suns. He'll, he'll coach the Suns. Yes, the Gold as, Coast. As Suns. predicted on this podcast about oh, three months ago, when he when he uh, abandoned the sinking ship that is Richmond. Yeah, you got a few opinions on that. Yeah, because how many? I was asking you this before. How many weeks off do you think he truly had before um, Bob East and the Suns came knocking and they went to visit him? I reckon in, it was days. Honestly, I, I wouldn't mean surprised if they were knocking immediately after uh, he stepped down from the Tigers. So you don't think and, you got... and look, they're fully they're they're allowed to do that. He's he's not um, employed by them at that point in time, and he's um, they can look for his services. But I guess my issue was always if you truly wanted to step away from the game and spend time with your family and burnout. recharge and burnout, yeah, then do you really want to dive straight back into it? He's he's fully entitled to. Um, further his career, go somewhere else, sign a six-year extension and all power to him. But I would have preferred the honesty and I reckon a lot of Richmond fans would have too to, to say, I've done what I wanted that's, to do here. And that's the one that, that gets me. That's the six years for someone that was burnt mm. out three months ago. So, yeah. yeah it's Interesting. Um, but, like you say, credit to him. I think if I'm a Richmond fan, I'm just grateful that he's able to deliver three flags in four years and, and good luck to him and he can do what he wants, uh, basically. Well, he had the farewell as well, part of the, the, the Cochin and the Revolt farewell. As yeah. I saw some photos and some vision of him uh, in the stands. So He's, he's um, notched up a few frequent flying miles the last uh He's tan on months. him too. Yeah. Where was he in Europe? I might need to get some tips and Wasn't tricks. He in the, I thought he was in the States. Huh? Well, he was, and then he went to Europe as well. We'll have to ask him anyway. We've got <laughs> get, plenty, get him on. plenty to get to. Uh, we're going to talk goalposts and score reviews, uh, season-ending losses. We're going to talk about how important being in form is ahead of finals. Collingwood, we're going to have a chat about them. Uh, about whether finals intensity is really a thing, Jake. Because mm. you hear it a bit sort of around the, the traps. Yeah, the commentators love rolling it. Oh, there's finals-like intensity around this contest and all that kind it's of funny, stuff. It's funny, they never so. say it's finals-like when a game's an 80-point margin at referring to... A blown, a blowout grand final or something like that. It's always a tight. Not all forgettable finals. finals out t- there. Yeah, there's yeah. more forgettable ones than. <laughs> anyway, memorable. Christian's got some good stats on that, so we'll chat that as well. But before we crack into things, Jake, something from the weekend that uh, you noticed that grabbed your attention. I reckon in your sort of inner circle of family and friends, everyone's got, everyone has a, a, a team that just about everyone they know seems to support. Just like birthdays, Every, there's always a month that you, everyone you seem to know has has their birthday in a particular month. Mm. And I reckon for me, it's the cats. I swear, the cats 70... have birthdays. What? No, no, I'm saying if everyone I know, right, in my life, oh, you know a lot of cats fans, Geelong, right, right for whatever right. reason. So yeah. it's like a birthday. There would be a month that you know half the people you know. You got family are born. down the surf coast. No, I don't. Oh, okay, I don't know what it is. It's they, just everyone's Geelong. Everyone's a Geelong supporter. The reason I say that is because it's the first time in 21 years me, as a Carlton supporter, has the bragging rights of finishing above the Cats on the ladder, which is a staggering statistic that it's been 21 seasons since Carlton has finished ahead of Geelong on the ladder. I saw a stat that it's the first year ever that Melbourne, St Kilda and Carlton are playing finals for the first time in VFL, AFL history. Well, that's crazy too, considering they've all been around from the beginning. But... um, yeah, so 21 years. That's um, I was 10 the last time that happened. So finally have a bit of some bragging rights over all those people in my life that have been giving me you-know-what for... Well, well yeah, so. my wife's Geelong, and I think we've been together for probably 15, 16 now. So yeah, so that's first, crazy. Time, first, first time, time I've had bragging that, rights. Thanks for letting crazy? me know. Make sure you give it to her. Yeah. <laughs> had plenty of opportunity over the years. Uh, okay, Christian, something you, you noticed uh, on the, over the weekend? Um, yeah, I've noticed it over the weekend, but it's probably something that's coming up in three or four weeks' time. So we're doing our roster uh, for the finals and love the idea of a uh, pre-grand final public holiday. So obviously down in Melbourne or in Victoria, mm, we get the fan. public holiday on the Friday and it's it's a, probably a public holiday that's been awarded because of the AFL industry because the AFL grand finals on the mm. next day they have public holiday. Well, it gets kids along to the uh, parade as well, that kind of stuff. 
So I'm sure there's plenty on. But the one thing I will say is there will be plenty of us in the industry that will have to work that day with the AFL now scheduling on three AFLW games on a public holiday, which they yeah. have basically designated for their own industry. So, you know, I'm a stats man, so I'll be working that day. You'll have timekeepers, you'll have umpires, you'll have all the volunteers, all the team managers, all that. They don't get a public holiday. So I, I want to see more AFLW footy played on, on you know, uh, on its own stage, but I just feel like if you give us a public holiday the day before the biggest day of the year, at least let the industry have a Good little point. bit of a day off. Well, Imogen, who works in our office but's also playing for Collingwood, has uh, also informed us that the Pies are playing on Grand Final Day. As uh, that's crazy. Across the road from the MCG as a, as a quote-unquote curtain raiser. That's, I mean, I don't know. What if the Pies make the final? She's going to have to make the quick dash to go and watch them. Yeah, I mean... I don't know, Skip I just find that... It should just be a, a total standalone event, should it not? For that whole weekend, yeah, probably. Yeah, I, I think the Sunday you might be able to sort of piggyback, you know, play a full day on the Sunday, and you got people thinking, you know, well, we didn't see my two teams in the grand final, want to watch some footy the next day, but yeah, the Friday, the day before, just please, just give us one day. And again, I took this job eighteen years ago, I knew I'd have to work. <laughs> Queen's birthdays, I'm not complaining about Queen's birthdays, days, Labor days, yeah. Easter. Kings I'm now. happy to do all that, <laughs> but if you give us a, a, a public holiday and say it's for the grand final, at least give us some time. Uh, that's good. I like it. Yeah. Now, not normally one to come with two things that he noticed. Mm. In fact, you normally give me a bit of shit. You, for doing you're that. you're the king of the two, the double uh, something. You know. Uh, yeah, well, but uh, champion data over here, Mr. Christian Jolly's come with two himself. Well, one's one's because of. Uh, Jared Barker, a good friend of the show, who apparently you guys won't let him on back on anymore. <laughs> how many, how many Hawthorne games Hawthorne won now? About 15. It was, it was from one of his queries. So his query, uh, I think probably with his Collingwood hat on, was has there been any team in the last, I think he quoted as, has there been any team in the last century to concede 100 points per game in their final four games leading into the finals and won the flag? So I uh, sort of went back and looked at all teams. Um, and basically, yeah, four teams have conceded at least 100 points in their last four weeks before finals. Uh, and the years of those teams are as follows. So 1984, Essendon. 1983, Hawthorne. 1980, Richmond. 1979, Hawthorne. So, so all those four. years... Yeah, so they're the only four that have conceded 100 points in their final four games of the season now, and gone on to win a Notably, flag. this era was rife for they like... conceded 100. 100. That's what I mean. That was the thing I noticed. So he sent the query through. I was born in 81. And as I said, these years here are 84, 83, 1980 and 1979. So again, looking at that, footy was basically quite basic back in the day. Kick, yeah. kick, score uh, and win. I hope our older listeners don't take offence to this, but God, football's better now, isn't it? I mean, do you really want to see... It's funny, every time we see a, a first quarter where 11 goals are kicked, the commentary is always like, how great is this? And it's like, is it? <laughs> you like a... I, I agree. I, I, I think having a defensive aspect makes it... I, I reckon I said it a few weeks ago when watchable. after that Collingwood Port Adelaide game, it was 84-82 or something. Like that. I, think, I said, I think that's the most the perfect score. About between 160 and 170 points, tight game, mm. goals aren't... Go- goals aren't super rare, but they mean they still mean something when they happen. You know, players kicking four players kicking seven goals in a game. So we've talked about the average score, um, especially over the last sort of four or five years, how it's sort of been going down and then sort of coming back up and stagnating. What is it again? It's like eighty two points. Two, yeah. I off the top of your head, probably I'm asking a bit too much, but back in the eighties, it would have been yeah, it was easily over about one fifteen, one twenty for a little while, and again. It- Again, I don't That's know enough crazy. about the history of it. I don't know when the 50-metre line came in. Okay. Uh, so I know scoring did definitely go up when the out-in-the-full and the deliberate out-of-bounds rule came in. So uh, the out-in-the-full didn't exist. So defenders used to be able to grab the ball in the back line, just boot it out over the fence, and it'd be a throw-in. So that that rule was changed <laughs> in 1969. So it led to an explosion Defenders had it even easier, and they were still giving up yeah. 20 goals. <laughs> uh, so scoring went up after 1969. But 86, yeah. the, the arc came in. Oh, okay, so before this time. So I was going to say, the, yeah, the 50-metre arc would have just given the forwards that point of, if I get the ball in here, I can now have a shot. You know, they would have given them more license to have a shot because okay. they would have known their range. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this was actually earlier. So um, as I said, I think from, you know, 85, it sort of started to go down. But within the next 10 years, by 95, 96, it was really defence was starting to win premierships. And we spoke about it last week. North 99, North mm. 96 were the only other two teams not great defensively to win a premiership in the last 30 years. So yeah, defence is definitely king. Well, we days. are going to talk uh, premiership standards and a bit more about defence and form and all that a little bit later. Uh, quickly, something that I noticed from the week before we move on. Um, when was the last time we've seen umpires wearing white, do you reckon, Jake? Uh, good question. You you didn't 
you didn't give me a heads up on this one. I have no idea. Clearly, mm. a long time ago, because their shorts and socks did not, did match, not match the white, so they so only had half the t- half the attire. Going. The Eagles had to wear their away strip, which is yellow, so the umpires couldn't wear their greeny yellow, which does happen. So normally they would wear blue, but because the dogs wear blue, they had to go to a third colour, and so the umpires were wearing white tops with their green and grey hats and green and grey shorts. That is a very good something you noticed. Why? It looked really jarring. Why wouldn't they just go full like white and black again or white and white and with a white cap? Can I confess something? Yeah. I watched that whole game and I've watched the replays of it 10 times the last... <laughs> I didn't. I did not notice that. How many Jamie Cripps goals have you watched? Well, about 11 now, I reckon. No, um, but I honestly didn't notice that. But yeah. I, I don't know. I didn't notice... Color. Like, people always notice... P- uh, players' boots and things like that in the car. Mm. I never some noticed. boots nerds out there that know the, like the the model that nah. a lot of players are wearing. I don't, I, tell you. I don't know the model, but I need to know the color to easily identify a guy. Yeah. So straight See, away we take notes at the start the of the number. game. It's always the number of the pl- the number on the back is the, the haircut. You know what's really messed with me is all the Carlton defenders having buzz cuts, and you've got Alex Chincotta, Brody Kemp, Jacob Weedering, all these taking a page out of the cats with all the same all the def- Geelong defenders with the same haircut. Anyway, if you're going to bring the white tops back for the umps, give them the, the full treatment, I reckon. There you go. There you go. Uh, Maybe get the goal umpires in the big white coats again. Well, speaking of goal umpires, there was a there go. Good segue. a moment, would we say? Um, and it's probably a moment that was not just one which helped define a game, but it defined a season. And so there's big controversy now in that we had a result go, and I think I could almost confidently say a result has been changed because uh, of a goal umpire's mistake. I think that is a little over the top. Okay. It wasn't the last kick of the game. No. So I don't know where we're going to take this because there is obviously a lot to discuss. It wasn't the last kick of the game. Should it have been a goal? 100%. Ball would have gone back in the middle. There was, what, a minute 10, minute yep. 15 to go, and then we don't know what happens then. Sydney may still win. Adelaide might kick another goal. Yep. Who knows? They were robbed of a goal at that point. It's impossible to say whether they were robbed Absolutely. of the win. So, so instead of sort of pontificating and what-ifing, I think where we need to go with this is how it got to this point and how we can fix it going forward. So mm-hmm. in terms of the, the review system and the way the goal umpires... Firstly, I hope the goal umpire is being supported by the AFL properly because his face was all over social media. His face was all over traditional yeah. media. It's not hard to find out who these guys are. Firstly, I hope he's doing okay because I'm sure he would be feeling... Yeah, it's a good point. Awful. I mean, you you know, coaches, players, everyone, you know, makes dozens of mistakes throughout a game, and yep. you're not, you know, you you wouldn't cop it as much as this for one mistake. So, that is a good point. How does it happen? I don't know. So the issue is obviously, I think the review system that's currently in place, which wasn't used, um, isn't isn't adequate enough. And I think the way that you make it adequate, and this is sort of fast forwarding a lot very quickly, is is you review all scores, um, whether it's on the field or it's done done privately and then the ball comes back if need be i think that to get the right result we need to upgrade the technology at the goal line firstly yep 100%. and there's ways to do that and the afl has the money to do that and they should be doing that because it hasn't changed in 10 years oh the the quality of the cameras the placement of the cameras is an embarrassment it it is impossible to definitively determine whether or not the ball has been touched across the goal line it's just ridiculous um but that's not the issue. The whether that's that wasn't even sent to the arc yes, to have a exactly. look at. So, so the take issue- the human error out of it. I mean, umpires are great. The, the theatrics are good. They they get the right result ninety nine percent of the time, maybe slightly less. But there is that that fail safe or that that safeguard in place to ensure that it does happen. But the issue that I have is that it wasn't used. And why wasn't it used? Probably because the umpire was confident. And if the umpire was confident and called the wrong thing, there needs to be a backup system in, in by that the, the arc reviews all scores or potential scores, looks at it and goes, hang on, we need to call this back. So it can kind of be like VAR in the sense that... Play can keep going. And then, okay, hang on a minute. And then the um, you know one of the umpires gets the message to say, actually, you've yep. got to go back 30 I'll, seconds. I'll, that was a goal. We're going to go back. Yeah. We'll go back to the centre and we'll reset the game clock to the, the problem, when it was. The problem so, is what happens if another score happens in that time or... Bring it back. You bring it back and you say, well, if this happened at 16, with 16.30 to go in the so third quarter... So the next score doesn't count. The next score doesn't count. It goes back to 16.30 on that, that clock so, and then we go to the middle or the... the... Again, it's ifs and buts because every time you bring something in, there's, you know, there's always going to be something that sort of overrules it. So go back to gaff Brayshaw incident. So mm. say it's Fremantle that have, that have kicked a, a score that they want to review and want to bring back. Gaff ends up hitting Brayshaw just as they've decided, oh, hang on, we're going to give West count. Coast the kick in because it was actually a behind. So we want West Coast to start with the ball. But Gaff's just hit Brayshaw on the wing. Do we pay a free kick to Brayshaw? Do we give the kick? Is it sort of like... 
I yeah, then, then I can you always say, well, see, but yeah. that didn't happen during the game. Okay, well, now it's assault. Now yeah, you're on a job. Exactly. So, and again, like, it's hard to sort of let play happen mm. um, and then say, oh, it's just easy for us just to stop the play and go back to where we were. So, like, so many things can happen in that little bit of oh, play. Yeah. And more so than more back. so than in, in, in soccer because, uh, and I'm a massive soccer fan, played it all my life, but soccer is not, you're not getting goal every two minutes. Or, you know, it's not like, um, it, it's a different sport. But, you know, here's an interesting one. It's something I was thinking about. Because people were saying the big question after it was why wasn't why was it not reviewed? Mm. Why was the goal umpire confident and didn't bother checking it? Do you think there's something? Some blame falls on co- the commentators and commentary around why we putting hundred percent pre- putting pressure to say we're just got to back yourself and, and make the decision. It's like. You constantly banging that drum for these guys to make these split-second calls mm. and back themselves and not check in. And what are we wasting time for? And we know who the ones are, the culprits are here. Judging by the voice you've put on there. Yeah. That, but, but, do you, but do you think there's some merit in, in that? I, I'm I not, agree, not yeah, I not solely blaming it, but if I'm a goal umpire and you hear that, yeah. hear that all the time... I think you, it it sort of plays into into your mind, thinking I've got to back, I've got to make the decision. I also wonder if there's sort of in the back of these umpires' minds, it's like, yeah, you're you're not you're, you're taking away from a moment of of either joy or heartbreak by by pausing and sending it upstairs, mm. and so you kind of want the continuity and and like I know it shouldn't come into your, your thinking, but these people are human, so they have these kind of like split second decisions where they need to make a a decision, right? Yeah, um, and these kind of things get thrown up. I just think it's been highlighted not just because this has affected Adelaide and the fact they probably would have gone into West Coast or into Perth this week, played them for a spot and would have made finals, yep. right? But also the fact that it's now two weeks in a row where we've had decisions mm. made by either, you can call it the review system not being good enough um, in both cases because the review system should have caught the Adelaide and Sydney one as well, yep. regardless of whether the umpire calls for it or not. But also the Christian Petrarca one with Caleb Marchbank on the line. So this is two weeks in a row where you go back, I mean, it's, finals I it's, shaping yeah. results have been altered by what could be deduced as the wrong call. Mm. And you can go back another day as well for the, those two uh, Jeremy Cameron, Cameron yep. incidents. The one, the mark that was out of out of bounds, and the hand, handball that was out of bounds. And so yeah, these so, are, these are just at the end of the game, right? In the, in the last quarter. So but this is are, yeah, this is what are, I say all the time. What about all the hundreds of because we say, why do we need to change the rules? Because just Ben Keys, it was it was happened once. It's like, yeah, but this is you remember the ones that you potentially the Tom flipped in the, the result final. of the game. What about all these scores? In Josh the, Jenkins. There was um, the first goal that Bulldogs got against the Eagles. Who I can't remember who kicked it, but it bounced. Polter. I don't think it was Polter. It, it kind of bounced up and it looked like it looked like I think Jermaine Jones had touched it, and they but they gave it a goal, and it's like. Yeah. Gee, I don't know about that, but no, but we all forget about that because it happened in the first quarter. Yeah, it's like this happens all the time, and we've got to get so much better with it. For the first part is the technology Spot that on. we're using. I mean, that's the the. It's the a non-negotiable in the offseason. Yeah, for non-negotiable a multi-billion-dollar industry to refuse to upgrade this, and four years ago, um, the AFL said that they were they were going to invest more money and in, in improving the technology to make it a more sound process. Hasn't happened. And then the other issue is ensuring that every potential score is reviewed. Yeah, and that and that, but then that throws up, as Christian said, a whole new set of issues. I, yeah, I, I find I, that I, I find don't that think the hardest. Issue. I think getting the right result. No, I find it. At, uh, they'll have to change the rules on kicking. If they're going to review kick-ins, then a player will have to wait for some sort of signal from the umpire to say you can play on now. That they'll just bring it back. It'll cause chaos. Like. It's simple to say that, but we don't have a part in the game where we let play out and then we bring the game back. So it's a very... But it's not going to happen that often. But when it happens... It'll, it might have, happen we're twice gonna, a game. But we're going to have one happen where someone has kicked a point and you're going to say, we'll get no, the right we're going to take the point off and we're going to get the right result. But, but teams are going to go, but we kicked a point. We went end to end and kicked a point and you're telling us we can't... Let, that wasn't allowed. Let's keep but. track of this in the in the off-season. And first podcast, we come back next year. Let's discuss what has been implemented by the AFL... And, to make this a better system. I want to say quickly, I think reviewing every score will help it. Uh, better technology wasn't going to help what happened on that night. It was It was nothing to do with the technology No, the that's arc. probably going back the more so for the Petrarca yeah, one the following week. It was more, you got to send it to the arc if you, you know, if you're yeah, not sure. Yeah, the, the technology wouldn't have done anything because it wasn't used. But th- that's more from the Petrarca one the following week. And we see it all the time where yep. you, you have the ball in one frame and then you go to the next one. It's like, okay, we need the three frames in between. Yep. 
Look, Crows fans, I feel for you. It's um. Oh, I would be filthy, and they have every right ideal. to be filthy because yeah. you know, as I said off the top, it, there was no guarantee that they were going to win the game, but you, you would be, you'd think that they would have had that uh, counted as a goal, and yeah, you go in and beat the beat the Eagles, and you're playing finals, so it potentially flipped their whole season, and it's affected other results too. Anyway, uh, one result that has also been, well, we almost think they're they're out, but the dogs. Well, they're not out. This, this is the, the thing, thing. Yeah. And, and and we'll get to this a bit, a bit later, and we'll we'll talk about their match this week. But I can't. Is that the the worst loss for the year for them or any team? For any team? Oh no, the was there one in the same week? Yeah, the Bombers' performance against the Giants was abysmal. It's going to get glossed over a bit, I think. Yeah, they got really lucky with not just the, the Crows, Swans um, issue that happened three hours later, but mm. um, then the Dogs the next day. And then the next day, it's Damien Hardwick to the sun. So they've got really lucky, the Bombers. Mm. They've really escaped this. They'll they'll play. Give them um, a serve quickly before they, you move they'll on. play on Friday. They'll they'll probably lose to the Pies, and then it's into the off season and just sort of you know escape the criticism. But it was the most embarrassing performance of the year, in my opinion. They were terrible. The Giants beat them up, and we we kind of you know you Christian's been pretty high on the Giants throughout the year. We're, we've we expect them to be a good competitive side, but I don't think anyone thought that was coming. Um, that kind of result where they just bullied them for yeah. four quarters, really. And 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 look, the Bombers in a in a season defining clash, like it was winner stays alive. Well, that's the thing. It's not as if they were fifteenth on the table. Table like they were as live as the Giants. Like they were, they could potentially have played finals had they won that game. So um, for them to show up and dish up that sort of performance, yeah, I, th- I reckon there might be a few sliced up membership cards uh, around the country today. Um, turning to the dogs, I just can't help but think that since Libba went down mm. against the Hawks about halfway through the Hawks game last week, they've looked a shell of themselves as a as a unit, yeah. um, getting smashed around the midfield. And they, they looked like they had one fewer player on the on the on the ground against the Eagles. Yeah, just... which is um which is basically how the Eagles have looked throughout the whole year. Yeah. Um yeah, we I looked at this with Christian last week, um, after the Hawthorne game when Tom Liberatore went down. I think it was about twelve minutes into the second quarter. From that point on for that game, so obviously not including mm. this one, they were smashed in in all contest in the contested possessions, in disposals, in clearances, everything. Scores from clearance. Um and I'm sure he's got the numbers uh, for this game too, but it's just worrying. So the loss of Josh Dunkley, I think, kind of slipped mm. under the radar last year. He's such an important was such an important player for them. All of a sudden, Liberatore goes out. Bailey Smith has regressed enormously, and Jack McRae played out of position and now two weeks in a row failed to get 20 disposals subbed out of the game well, that was, this that was the unusual that... one so that was Libba out and you know even mentioning Josh Dunkley who I know you know they've had to play 20 odd games without him but yeah you lose Libba Dunkley and you still don't bring McRae just to just... play every single and you end up subbing him off by the end of the game mm. so it's uh, the guy who was on 40 watch every week yeah. in previous years he's one of the best ball winners of the last decade and he's been played out of position and to be honest like I reckon I made note of this earlier in the year he he really does. He looks so disinterested, and I kind of don't blame him. Mm. Uh, there's some issues at the Dogs because this is a team that people back to be top four. So they've made top four under Bevo. They won a flag. They've made another grand final. Mm. But they've, they've always done it from outside the four, which I guess is credit to the Dogs and to him in itself. But this has been a season where when you look at the talent that has been on the list and what you expect at the start of the year and then the players that you say have delivered unders, it's a, it's a massive disappointment. It's a massive disappointment, and fans are rightly annoyed, I think, at where the where the club has been this year and how they haven't been able to sew up a spot in the finals. And and the crazy thing is, after a loss to arguably what's been described as a team that's been worse than Fitzroy at times, um, they're still in the hunt. And and here's the crazy part for me is they'll go down to the Cattery where they haven't won for God knows how long, right? Is the game in Geelong? Yeah, is it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, uh, and the Cats are going to be missing. And some of the names on the list is going to be Hawkins, oh. Cameron, Blitzarves, Guthrie, Jack Henry's going to be out. I think Radigalia's out. Like, they're going to be able to go down to the Cats, have the best opportunity to win there. And if I'm the Giants... Oh, they should win. But but, but the Cats are sending players in for surgery, right? Yeah, so they're, no, they're, sorry, they're, that's they're, what I'm saying. I'm saying the Bulldogs should the win. The Bulldogs if, should win. Yeah, so the gonna, Giants might miss the if they lose to the Blues. Like? So the, it's going to be Shannon Neal and Grind Mike. <laughs> yeah, so... 
So there's this this weird opportunity where the dogs might fall into eighth spot, and the Giants miss out despite having played great footy all year mm. because the Cats have decided to send players in for surgery, which yeah. be- begs the question to, to from, from me to you: Is that a bit dodgy from Geelong's point of view? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's so. I thought when West Coast won the game, and Adam Simpson kind of joked about it, but the the whole tanking debate. So part of the story which really flew under the radar with the that result was the fact that pick one basically got shipped to North Melbourne with West Coast jumping from 18th to 17th. So uh, North Melbourne now have the right to draft Harley Reid should they lose to Gold, Gold Coast. Coast this week in Tasmania, which what's the incentive to win? That's another topic. But yeah, so... I kind of said, well, tanking, I guess, is dead. If West Coast have got, uh, want to go and win, the, prepared to win the game and give up pick one for a win, for mm. the morale boost of a win, even though it doesn't really get them anything, um, then tanking's dead. But then you look at the Cats and you say, what's that's their incentive? A form, that's just another form of tanking. You're not going out there to try and win the game. And you can't say all these players are injured because if you were still alive, you can't tell me that Jeremy Cameron, Tom Hall... And we haven't seen... We, we there's This is a little, spec, this is a little speculation yeah. right now, but... It's it's assumed that these guys aren't playing, and if that's the case, you can't tell alive. me if their season was on the line. You can't tell me Jeremy Cameron, Tom Hawkins, they're all going to be rested uh, because they're gotten a niggle. That's ridiculous. So if I'm if I'm Adam Kingsley and the Giants, I'm quite filthy at this because yes, obviously they can beat Carlton on the weekend and still I think make it on their own accord. But if the Dogs win, the Dogs have a superior percentage mm. as well. But if the so, Dogs win over a team that is is let's face it, half strength. Yeah, I think that's that's the integrity of the competition chat. So, this is the million dollar question, and the it's, same can be said about the Cats at, and North Melbourne going to this week. What's the incentive to win? You, you the AFL needs to find a way to incentivize all wins. You can't just be win 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 until you can't possibly make finals or win a premiership, and then you're better off losing. How else can you? And it's not just the AFL; it's all it's it's all sport, really. How can you make sure that North Melbourne and Geelong are going into round 24, mm. running out and wanting to win the game? There's no... Like, like you say, there's, there's no way to verify. You can't send it like an independent doctor in to have a look at Cameron and say, he's fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, maybe a fine. But again, you're speculating. It's, yeah, you can't find them because there's no definitive proof. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit dodgy for me, to be honest. Feels, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm not happy with that. But anyway. It's Geelong, classic Geelong, though. Just throwing a spatter in the works. Mm. Um, we got this question from a listener last week, and we held off on this just because we were a little bit far away from finals footy, but we're close enough now. So the, the, the question was along the lines of, is finals intensity, finals footy a thing, right? So the mm. cliche is that you know commentators like to roll out is, gee, this game's being played with a finals-like intensity uh, during the home and away season. So Oh, they loved that. Yeah. It, Almost as much as the, just back yourself, umpires. <laughs> <laughs> So it's sort of fitting to look at if it's even a thing. Christian, we got you to look at um, a number of stats and, and how they differ on average in home and away games to finals games and if there is such a thing as, quote-unquote, finals footy. Yeah, so using uh, looked at the last five years, so 2018 to 2022, uh, looked at exactly, so not, not looking at any 2023 numbers uh, in any of this, obviously because we haven't had the finals for this season, but just looking at, yeah, home and away averages versus finals averages in the last five years, so... Obviously, there's only been 45 finals played in the last five years and, you know, 400, 500-odd home-and-away games. So you're going to get a, a bigger uh, variance in split. But again, I just I chose 12 stats off the top of my head and probably every single stat came out slightly different in finals and probably going slightly the way you'd expect it to do. Right. So, so what are the kind of things that you expect when you hear, oh, it's finals footy? Well, like, I think it's probably more tackles, more contested, more stoppages. Uh, pressure high, yeah. Yep. So the contested possession rate is probably the biggest one for me. So that goes from thirty-eight or thirty-nine percent during the home and away season. So thirty-nine percent of your possessions are won from a contest, uh, up to forty-two point one percent during the final. So three percent mm. swing of yes, it's more contested. There's a lot less uh, uncontestable the, pressure the fu- factor. So, so the funny thing is, though, if you showed if you showed the average footy fan a game where pressure where con- the contested possession rate is thirty-nine percent, another one where it's forty-two, and they were both just home and away games. Do you reckon the average person would be able to? No, exactly. Hit? A three three percent, yeah, three percent differential isn't it's huge. Not a, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's it's not insignificant, but it's not massive. Correct, and I think most of these numbers are. They're not. They're, there's clearly changes in the number, but I don't think there's anything significant enough to mm. say that a, a club really needs to change their you know focus to 
this X stat because of finals. So mm. pressure you mentioned, 184 in finals, the pressure factor, 181 uh, in home and away. Interestingly, that's uh, probably the post-clearance. So pre-clearance pressure doesn't change. So at the stoppages, your stoppages setup's the same. Everyone, you got one person trying to win the ball. If he's in front of you, then you put pressure on if you're the guy behind. So 256 pre-clearance pressure uh, rating. So obviously, you know, you look at the the Fox pressure rating that they put up on TV and they say 200's elite. Obviously, 256 around the stoppages is that's where is where all the pressure is in a game. Post-clearance, so out in general play, it goes up to 168 in finals, up from 166 in home and away. So again, very negligible change, but definitely a slightly higher um, out in general play. Mm. Disposal efficiency drops 72.5% in home and away, down to 70% um, during finals. Inside 50 has actually gone up slightly, so 50.4 in home and away season, 51.5 in the finals. Okay. Uh, but scoring per inside 50, team score from 43% of entries in home and away, only 40% in finals. Uh, but then I sort of looked at where your scores come from. So percentage of scores from turnovers, it doesn't change, 59% in both home and away and finals. You get sort of 1% more of your score from clearances in finals than you do in home and away, and 1% less from kick-ins. That's so all rather negligible. Yeah, it's mm. it's it, I mean, it all you, it all goes slightly towards yeah. the more contested pressure way, but not through the roof. So the, or the anything stats like you've that. been listing, like things like more inside fifties but fewer scores from inside fifties, kind of looks at uh, looks or, or points to what we talk about as the premiership standards a bit on this podcast, where there are you've got to be ranked top six in in these stats, or one hundred percent of the last ten premiers have ranked top six in in these certain stats, um, and some of those are like so D fifty to I fifty transition. But then, you know, allowing scores from opposition inside fifties and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. there's, I can see the correlations a little bit, but it's all very minimal. But like, why? Why is it? Why do we get the the feeling? Or again, it's it's probably as I said with the forty five final. You, you think of the, the most recent final we had, yeah, Geelong Sydney. I don't know if you're going to rate every game last year in terms of hardness factor or something. Geelong Sydney's not going to be in the top half of that list. So. Yeah. Small, as I said, only 45 finals. It only takes about six or seven blowouts in finals to sort of dollar mm. these numbers. And in the same, and in the home and away season, you do probably have more finals like game in the home and away season because yeah. a, a tenth versus first in the home and away is like an eighth versus fifth maybe in the final yeah. stop because you know you're both playing for a certain spot. So I again, it's, I, think I think it's it's the smaller number. So I, again, footy's changed too much. I would have loved to looked at the last hundred finals and tried to compare it. to... But again, once you go back to before even 2014, 2015, it was so much easier to sort of go end-to-end in. So you, if you brought in those numbers, you say, oh, it's easier to move the ball in finals than it has been in recent home and away seasons. But it's because you're taking into account a totally different type yeah, of game, right. if that makes sense. So again, I think it's just that a little bit to it is just, yeah, that the sample size is so small in finals. You've only got the 45 finals and a lot of finals are blowouts. Yeah, well, that's true. And I guess maybe also adding to the the lower num- you know, the slightly lower numbers in, in home and away is that you have really bad teams too. Mm. So you've got teams that, that play really bad teams and therefore, you know, might need to might not need to exert as much pressure or, or doesn't need to do as much with or without the ball. So Yeah, and I think kinda of like we said at the start, I mean there's or I said, there's more finals that aren't memorable. Like so those games, like you said, they they probably distort those numbers. You know, if there are nine finals every year, we might have four great ones and five so-so ones that then blow out that then pressure pressure isn't as high and all, a lot of those contested things drop off as the game is 40 50 point margin what about form we talked about form and jared when he brought his little query to you christian about um teams um giving up an average of 100 points in the lead in and how they've fared in terms of their premiership aspirations but you know last year the cats rode a 16 game win streak uh, on the way to their 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 win, the, the Sydney, Swans had won nine, nine well, in yeah. a row in the way to the grand final. Is there something to be said about hitting the straps at the right year? I mean, you look at recent premiers. The D's were four and one in their last five home and away games in 2021. Tigers four and one. Tigers five and zero. Oh, Ten and zero oh in 2019. Um, West Coast were three and two, I guess, in 2018. Like, is there a trend that we can look at in terms of how good you are in the last month of the of the season to your aspirations of, of either making a grand final or winning the flag? Yeah, and it's exactly that. It's the last month, um, and it works perfectly for the last 10 premiers. So, again, if you go back to 2012 uh, Sydney Swans, I think they were uh, they might have been one and three in their final four weeks uh, leading in and won the grand final in 2012. So they sort of bucked the trend. But since 2013 onwards... Uh, no team has gone worse than three and one in the final four rounds and won the flag. Um, and yeah, so the combined uh, win loss in those f- last forty games um, of the last ten premiers at the end of the season thirty five and five. 
So only five losses in that time, and as I said, they're all one you know one losses to um, as you said Melbourne in in um, uh, recently sorry yeah West Coast West and Coast. Richmond in 2017 also lost one. The Bulldogs lost one heading into it in 2016. So yeah, no team has sort of come with a two and two or a one and three record in the last ten years. Um, and again, it's something that. We sort of banded around the office. I think David King's sort of the one that's gone with the term. It's the runway. It's getting on the runway, but it is. It's exactly that, that you can sort of look at. And it was done, I think it was done retrospectively. It was looking after about eight years' worth of premierships and just looking at what was their form like heading into it. And that's when they discovered it's like you, you need to have good form. Mm. There's, there's always that talk about, and I think people were throwing around two or three weeks ago, Collingwood was so far in front, number one, they didn't need to try as yeah. hard. And they could probably the rest caveat, a little right? bit. That's that's what people like to say, but the proof is in the pudding that teams don't do. The teams have not flirted with form late in the season and mm. been able to win a premiership. So the Pies runway has got a few potholes at the moment. So they're one and three at the moment in their last four. So they've got one more game against uh, the Bombers, obviously, to try and uh, help that that along. The Lions three and one. Yeah. Uh, Port two and two in their last four. The D's three and one. Carlton four and zero. Saints three say and that one. Again. Say the Carlton record again, please. Four and zero. Jeez. Uh, Saints three and one. Swans four and zero. They've mm, come with a swans. Bullet. Isn't it interesting that both Carlton and Sydney, at times this year, were bottom oh, four they were teams. Cool. Yeah. They were both fifteenth halfway through the year. Yeah. So I think it's sorry just to finish off. Giants two and two and Dogs one and three. There you go. I think I. It's quite clear that going back probably the last twelve and a bit months, I've been. Pretty anti pies on this podcast. Right? I didn't believe them last year. Didn't believe them going into this year. It took me a while to to jump on board. Soon as you did. Soon as I did. Well, close enough. <laughs> Having said that, anyone writing Collingwood off is it, you. You just cannot do it. So they're the Sydney of 2012. I think there's a little bit of merit in the fact that they they did the hard work early. And they have had some injuries, so it's all been a little compounded. That's the thing. It has past performance has got an indicator of future performance. Again, exactly, and it's not by choice either. So some of it has been by injury and that. But again, just retrospectively looking at it, good form usually leads to. They've played good teams. They've lost to good teams. Well, that's that's a worry as well. Yeah. So, but but they're not playing at full strength, and as you say, they they haven't had to win. They haven't had the. Every time they've needed to win a game, they've won the game. So even if the Pies win, they'll be two and two in their last month. Yeah, which would have to be bucking so a pretty you, big trend. So are you prepared to say that they can't win? Because I think that's ridiculous. No, I'm not prepared to say that at all. They, when, as soon as you have the double chance, you have. Yeah, but they're 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 the most likely of any team. The buy will to also be holding the premiership in it's a, six weeks. A time. rare occasion where the buy will help a top four team where they might be getting yeah. more red. Like you know, how they're going to top... get players back. This is the thing. I mean, it's it's it'd be one thing if. Okay, Darcy Moore, Nick Dacos, uh, you know, these guys, they're, they're out. They're not coming back. Jordan Dugowie, they're coming back. Like, they're going to get back to full strength. Um, they're going to be impossible to play at the MCG at full strength. And people, no one's going to want to play them. Like, I, I just think we jump on and off teams way too quickly. Well, they're still favourite with the bookies. They should be. They, they should be. They, as, as I said, I think there's, they're the most likely of any team uh, to win it all. Uh, we've got to really whip through these. I've just had a look at the time. The key start from every game. So from the weekend, geez, we talk about some of the results and we've talked about some of them already, but um, it was a wild weekend of footy. Uh, started with uh, Friday night. I think the key start that I took away is that Devin Robertson, his Instagram followers went from about 11,000 to almost 40, more than 40,000 uh, in three days after he uh, had his shirt torn off. Uh, what did you see from the actual stats bunker, Christian? <laughs> we saw that as well. Obviously, couldn't miss it, but it's... Two games in a row, so they played round four earlier this year. Brisbane smashed them by 43 points from turnover. Um, Collingwood's worst differential in a game up until this weekend where they were outscored 82-32 to 32 from turnover. So Brisbane had got that part of the game um, clearly sort of at arm's length from Collingwood. When they come up against Collingwood, they're able to smash them from the turnover. Clearances were even. Points from clearances was actually Collingwood's way, and a lot to do with that was Scott Penderbury, I think. Mm. We haven't spoken much about him this year, so I thought I'd drop his name on the podcast finally, but... Second highest rated game. His highest rated game was round one against Geelong. So you talk about coming into form at the right time. Scott Pendlebury's probably stepped up in the last two or three weeks with those injuries. Certainly has. And it just shows well, he hasn't needed to, but when you need him, he's there. And I was going to actually ask you this off air, but maybe you might be able to tell us. Now, is it the best game a 35-year-old's ever played? Ooh. 
Tom Hawkins Gaz, has probably yeah. played a few. Gazza might be up there. I, I can definitely find that out for maybe you. We'll, and maybe we'll, we can let um, the listeners know next week. Yeah. Next week, he was very good. <laughs> he was, um, yeah. Anything else before we move on? Uh, no, as I said, yeah, it was mainly the turnovers. It was the and it was the attacking midfield turnovers. So it was Brisbane's ability. So I looked at Devin Robinson, sort of won four attacking midfield intercepts and launched three scores from him. Kitty Coleman coming from halfback won three attacking midfield intercepts and all three of those uh, led to a Brisbane score. So it's those those wingers and halfbacks being able to push up for Brisbane and get Collingwood on the exit. Uh, remind me, Jake, your big call at the start of the year involved oh, two go. Richmond forwards. Uh, what was it again? Uh, it was Dustin Martin and Shea Bolton to combine for, what was it, 40 goals? Or 100, 100 goals. goals. <laughs> well, you might be onto something because the Tigers sort of nailed think, something against the Roos. Between them, yeah, yeah, so they got seven. So four for Shy, three for Dusty. It's only the third time this season that they've both managed to kick multiple <laughs> goals in a year. So it's probably, uh, yeah, mainly... That was a stat for Jake, just to let you know that, yeah, you're a fair way off on your prediction. And they just haven't been able to, they both just haven't been able to get it going in the same game this year. And this was the first one. The other interesting stat from this one was the same amount of disposals for each team. Um, North were negative 427 metres gained. So North, a lot more handball, won the handball receives, won the uncontested possession count, but sort of got stuck going nowhere with the ball. Richmond had a higher kick to handball ratio, had more metres gained and, and sort of, yeah. Went more direct. One word answer from you both. Nick Larkey, is he in the All Australian team? If it's if they team squad, is he in, is he in the squad? Yes. Sorry, squad? the team, the team, the final team. Uh, yes and no. Yes to no. squad, no to team. Ah, oh. agree. No, agree. Oh, he's so close. If he kicks five this week, I reckon he's in. Okay. Um, Giants and Essendon. So Giants had a, a win to start the game. Uh, a win to start the day with their banner, basically saying oh, that. Oh, uh, that was good. That There's was, just so many things that were. It was just a very good round for drama and. See, and if that stuff. didn't, if that didn't fire the bombers up, I, I mean, they that just showed, they were never going to win. So it was game. along the lines of, um, as long as we've been in the competition, you haven't won a final. So it was a bit of a bit of a shade throwing from the Giants, uh, but that was only their first win for the day. They just kept on rolling. Yep. Yeah, highest score ever, um, biggest win ever, 126 points. Uh, previous biggest win for the Giants was 108. But yeah, again, talk about score sources. So Essendon just got smashed. They conceded 106 points from turnovers. Um, it's the second time in the last five weeks that Essendon's conceded at least 100 points uh, from turnovers. So they did it against round 18 against Geelong. I think they conceded about 106 points from turnovers. It's only happened five times in a game this year. Essendon's been responsible for uh, conceding it twice. North mm. Melbourne have conceded it twice and West Coast only once. So just a Bombers. huge part of their game that they need to get fixed. And it was probably just a little one-off flag. Brad Scott, probably coaching history at North, very, very good offensively, needed to sort of fix things defensively and probably never got them up the top defensively. It's, it's the Essendon signature at the moment. They're really, really good with ball in hand. Mm. But as I said, protecting turnovers and protecting end-to-end -end ball movement, they've really struggled. Uh, Blues and the Suns, we skipped over them accidentally. Uh, but Carlton, second quarter heroes this year. Well, and again, I'll uh, take a little bit of credit. Um, <laughs> watching, watching it with my son and at quarter time, yep, I was probably uh, as devastated as everyone else. But I did, I did make the comment that second quarters are Carlton's best quarters. And if we're any close at halftime, I'm happy. We don't need to win the game. We just need to see something in that second quarter. So had a look at it, and obviously that's where the game turned. So Carlton have won nine first quarters this year. This is the equal fourth fewest of any team. So I think it's only Frio, West Coast, and North are below them. Frio Concerning. are up to... Concerning for finals, yeah. I think. Yeah, Frio, I think, are up to from behind. four first quarter wins in the last six weeks, and they hadn't won before that. Mm. But they've won 15 second quarters, the equal second most, and have, I think they've kicked um, almost 70 or so more goals than their opposition in second quarters, which mm. is the best, best differential of any team. So I feel like, yeah, another one where I'll just look at Voss, who's taken over in the last 18 months. I feel like he is a good... Reactive coach, he can get the game back on Carlton's terms quite quickly and yeah, yeah been good at second quarters all year. Uh, Cats and the Saints. Jeez. Uh, Disappointing. Yeah, a little bit. I, I feel like that was there for the Cats and they have that, that run in where they, well, we talked about it all year about how they would play a lot of their games at home. They got their final game at home against the Dogs. If they'd won against the Saints, they could really have rolled in again, but yep. it just wasn't to be. And there were some really interesting things to come out of this game. Something about the free kicks. I know we don't try to talk about umpires a lot. Um, and their decisions, but there was a really interesting stat about the free kicks from this game. Yeah, so five free kicks paid for Geelong. Um, so I think that's about the. I think they've seen a couple of teams in, in Champion Data's time, ninety nine nine onwards, that have had four free kicks in a game, four and five. Uh, so we've have seen um, some games with lower, but they didn't win a free kick in the midfield zone. So they're the first team ever on record. And again, we have zones going back to I think two thousand and four. We have free kick zones. No team has ever gone through a whole game without winning a midfield free kick. So they, they didn't win one of those. They had five free kicks for the game. Four were in defensive 50. One was in their forward line. 
Uh, so fewest midfield ones. But again, taking a step back and looking looking at that whole game and talking about finals like footy, it was uncontested possession rate in that game was 69%. So we talk about contested possession rate going wow. up to 40-odd percent. Bruce Reed. Yeah, so 31% across that game. That's the lowest contested possession rate of any game this year. So Bruce Free, and yes, the free kick count was low. But again, it was probably the way the game was played. Like the differential wasn't too bad. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the worst differential. St Kilda got slightly around the average of free kicks. Geelong's was quite low, but it was just a very, very outside game anyway. Yeah, one of the one of the quietest games I've ever seen Patrick Dangerfield have. Uh, just the four kicks for the game. Mm. It was actually the fewest he's had in a full game he's played since uh, round twelve. 2011 for and, Crows. And spoke about him when we spoke about Ben Cunnington last week. He is the number one player for contested possession rate. Like, he loves contests mm. and winning the ball from contests. So a very outside game is not going to be, uh, not going to help Dangerfield too much. Well, last week we mentioned how the Crows only just fell short against the Lions, but had a lot of shots and just weren't able to nail their chances. And again, I not want to say it cost them, well, um, but it was very they, costly. Well, they've had and again, five games like this, the Crows. But again, go back and listen to the pod round seven or eight, I want to say. And we, we spoke about Adelaide and Carlton and compared the two and Carlton and Adelaide both had the lowest expected shot accuracy of any in of any team. Carlton were missing their shots, Adelaide were nailing it. Adelaide were the darlings of the competition and Carlton was getting smashed for what's going wrong with Carlton. <laughs> I did make the call that I loved Adelaide, I was on the Adelaide bandwagon but there will come a time where people will start saying, geez Adelaide take the worst shot, geez they don't work it in the good positions geez they spray a lot of shots um, it's continued to happen all year so again people talk about the last quarter and how, how often they missed They've got an expected accuracy of 46.2% this year, which is the lowest of anyone. In that final quarter, obviously the Ben Key shots counts to this and that. They had an expected accuracy of 46.7%. So they weren't easy shots. They were still hard shots that were missing. <clears throat> but that's what Adelaide do. They, they play with a lot of license. It's exciting to see, but it is going to hurt you if you don't get those goals, um, you know, kick straight. Maybe an extra kick, um, lower the eyes a bit, find someone 30 out straight in front and that... that Shoots up a touch. Uh, West Coast and the Bulldogs. Gee, they started hot, the Eagles. And I, I, you kind of always like, ah, the dogs will come back. The dogs will come back. They, they did. Um, but in a sort of a rare occurrence, I guess, in 2023, the Eagles were able to find a second surge. Jamie Cripps mm. uh, winding back the clock uh, and really has almost, almost sunk the uh, dogs' finals chances. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of it was, uh, to me, watching the game, was the Bulldogs, again, they won the inside 50s by three, but it just didn't seem like they had any... Potency going forward, missed a lot of targets trying to hit, you know uh, kick it from the midfield, hit the forward fifty targets. But probably looked at it for the Eagles, their ability to put pressure on in the, in their defensive midfield. So that's uh, putting pressure on the Bulldogs between ninety to fifty meters out from the Bulldogs' goal, so mm-hmm. making it really hard to get clean entries. Um, it was the their pressure factor in that zone was two eighteen. It's their highest uh, in that zone this year, and the ninth highest of any side. Um, and then they were able so they were able to make it messy for the Bulldogs going inside fifty, and the Eagles outscored Bulldogs six goals to th- six goals from defensive fifty chains to three goals for the Bulldogs. So it was it was a little bit of uh, not cat and mouse, but the Eagles sort of had to had to absorb a little bit. They didn't win the territory. They sort of had to put pressure on, and as you said, the Bulldogs were coming the whole game. But West Coast, yeah, were able to sort of not only keep the Bulldogs to sort of messy sort of ball in their front half, but they were able to go out and hurt them the other way. You uh, a fan of the idea of Aaron Norton playing back in the future? <sighs> For three years, I was convinced he was a key defender. You drafted this guy as a key defender. He was one of the best key defenders I'd seen as a junior. It's probably so late in his career that I'm like, well, you've probably played him so long down as a forward. I don't know how much he's got left in defence. But yeah, the, Hasn't the one few weeks. And the one issue is in defence, again, you can sometimes get away with it down there, but it's his kicking. So obviously his kicking for goal isn't great. Uh, he hasn't. Had, he's had two effective kicks in the last two weeks. I think it was zero against Hawthorne. He had two effective kicks this week, twelve ineffective. So in the last two weeks, he's got a kicking efficiency of fourteen percent. Extended out I still to about think six you can weeks. Hide that it's more about in the back line. You're clearing the ball. Yeah. So I think that's the one. If you if you take an intercept mark in the back line, you can either go long down the line or flick off a handball. It is. It's that ground. If you get Aaron Norton getting a ground ball, get hemmed up on the behind post and he needs to try to kick it around it's sort of like well that's where you're going to be a, you know heart and mouth sort of stuff it's just every time um, he flies for, I swear every time he flies for a mark he gets up limping yeah and, and again a lot of his marks sorry a lot of his goals come from set shots so I just look at him and just think he's not that ground level player that as a forward he doesn't swoop on the ground level and Even turn his set and snap shot goals routine is, is still just yeah. not quite there I think that's the problem with the dogs like they're, they're 
They don't have a consistent forward. It's it's Waitman, it's Hugo Hagen, it's Norton. That they are all flashy. They all can have a quarter where they turn a game, but they don't have a consistent. You know what you're getting every week forward. Uh, decent Hawks. Yeah. So again, probably played a little bit. In we know Melbourne like stoppages are like contests, like chaos. But there was the seventh most marks taken uh, in a game this season. So it was probably played on a real outside sort of Hawthorne. Um, base game, but yeah, Demons just smashed him territory. 61 to 39 was inside 50 count. Uh, and another one, another name we sort of flagged last week, Malksham. He didn't spend the whole game on Sicily, but had about half an hour on Sicily, another half an hour on Scrimshaw. Finished with 15 disposals, kicked three goals, four behinds, and nine score involvements. So they're really using him as a. He's a lockdown forward who they target quite often. Mm. So he's a lockdown forward that'll actually make sure you get into dangerous spots. And he's played a really interesting role. Him and Darcy Byrne-Jones, I think, are two players that have flown under the radar for the ability to play as forwards, negate someone, but able to hit the scoreboard. Kind of player that I think finals suits them. I think this might sound a little bit over the top, but I think aside from Melbourne's kind of clear five or six best key important players... He feels like he's like their next most valuable for what he's doing at the moment in such an undermanned forward line, really being not only the focal point a lot of the time, but as you said, doing a job on someone like yeah. James Sisley. Who so he did it against he did against Sisley, he did it against Harris Andrews as well. He manned up yeah. to Harris Andrews, but then he kept then leading still, to the pocket and demanding yeah. the ball. So if you keep kicking it to Andrew, Harris Andrews as opponent, then it you know puts doubt in the he's, he's been extremely valuable and yeah. the sort of player I think that has an impact in finals and. You know, finals. It's important to kick goals, but like he might kick two and then have have the impact of negating someone. I, I think that's yeah. Oh, if he kicks two and and can you know halve the the impact of someone like James Sicily in a final. Yeah, that that's an extraordinary amount of value. Uh, and last game, Fremantle against Port Adelaide. Power probably not as prolific going inside fifty as we've come to expect from them, but didn't really matter in the end. Yeah, so I mean, there's a few like worrying numbers for Port Adelaide in the game that they I mean they got the four points which is always good but yeah 40 inside 50s that's five fewer than they've had in any other game uh, this year and they had six fewer than the the, the Dockers so again most teams are aiming for about 50 inside 50s per game Um, so 40 is quite a low number Dockers were better at moving the ball from end to end so Dockers were able to go from their back 50 to forward 50 30 percent of the time Port Adelaide were only do it able to do it 17 percent of the time so almost twice as good at moving the ball end to end the Dockers but they just couldn't get that final score on the board. So if you look at points generated from back 50, they were both 12 points apiece. So there's a lot of issues there where Port, I think they were they were outplayed in the in the ball movement game. They weren't able to generate a lot of forward half. But again, they just they just did enough at the right time to get the four points. Uh, we've talked a little bit about the premiership standards on this podcast. So um, you know, ten of the past ten premiers have ranked top six in in these stats. So points against points against from turnovers, opposition points from forward half. Moving the ball from D50 to forward 50, the inside 50 differential, and time in forward half differential. So if you want to be playing premiership standard footy, you've got to be winning all of these. Uh, thought we'd get an update with one round to go about the teams that are and are not nailing it that are currently within the finals reach. Yep, so you, you mentioned those six stats that are 10 out of 10. We've got another three stats that I think are 9 out of 10, so yeah. it sort of gives us the nine key stats. But I've looked at, again, we've got a, we've got a table with 32 stats, and, and not all of them mean that you're going to be uh not all of them sort of co- correlate with premiership success but it is it's a good way to sort of look at the strengths and weaknesses of each team to find out how many areas of your game you're really strong in how many areas of your game you're just mid-pack and how many areas of the game are you really weak in so looking at the premiership standards report i've looked at greens versus reds um which is basically if you're top six you get a green uh highlight next to your name if you if you're Bottom six, you get red, um, and sort of just done a count on red versus green. So taking out all the neutral sort of stats that you're mid-table in. So Collingwood, for instance, they got 15 of those 32. So there's 32 main stats that are looked at. 15 of those stats, they're green in, um, and only four, they're sort of in the negative four. So they're, they're plus 11 on the green. So not huge numbers. But then you go to second on the ladder, Brisbane. So as I said, 15 greens for Collingwood. 23 greens for Brisbane across their 32 stats. One red area, which is pressure. So they're... they're they're in the bottom six for applying pre- pressure on the ball carrier. Do you think the Lions have been flying under the radar? I think there's two teams that have probably been flying under the radar, and they're, they're definitely one of them. So it's 23 green, one red. Um, uh, so, yeah, sort of gives them plus 22. Port Adelaide are 15 green, seven red. Uh, but the other one I think is flying under the radar is Melbourne, who we just spoke about, 24 green. So one more green than Brisbane, two red. 
So there's there's you know they've got the two about, things at their bottom they six. They've really in. been out of. Sort they've of never third been out of. They've right? always we've always spoke about it and they've always what are they going to do with their forward line? Oh, they've lost Oliver. That's going to be. We've we've worried about Melbourne all year, but they've never really they've, they haven't yeah. fallen off the perch as of yet. Mm. They just keep winning. Interesting. Uh, any other teams worth keeping an eye on? Uh, again, so yeah, so Carlton <laughs> again, little bit mid table. Fourteen greens, six red. Yeah. Um, so there's the fewest greens of anyone. But again, a lot of that, a lot of that would have been is that six so or seven yeah. seven week period sort of brings you down. Um, St Kilda, interesting. Yeah, sixteen greens. So again, more greens than Port, Port Adelaide, fifteen. Collingwood, fifteen. St Kilda, sixteen greens, and a lot of their green is in the in the defensive area. But again, seven red. So you compare Brisbane, who I said had one red. So it's a Brisbane Melbourne Grand Final. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of and again, the green and reds for St Kilda. It's clearly sort by defence. It's green. Sort by offence. It's red. And then sure. everything <laughs> in the midfield's white. So uh, quite easy profile. GWS again, the ones that are sort of getting in there late. Nine green, two red. So really, really mid-table sort of profile. They haven't done anything great. They haven't been terrible at anything either. Uh, and the Bulldogs, the other one we talk about, fourteen green uh, and four red. So yeah, not too bad there, but. How the teams are travelling in those stats. There you go. Uh, we're getting into red time of this podcast brought to you by Subway, which means it's time for Is the Hype Justified or Is It Hyperbole? Jake, a lot to get to. Mm. After, we said this off the top and we've kind of had to whittle these down to, uh, to sort of stay within our Flying time. Flying through it. First off, 80% of Gold Coast's premiership list is currently at the club, as Damien Hardwick suggests. Mm, it was an interesting comment um, for a couple of reasons. It kind of puts a bit of pressure on him. I think a bit, maybe a bit of unnecessary pressure by saying that this team is ready to or close enough to start winning. If you got eighty percent of a premiership list, then you should be making finals next year. <laughs> um, I think it might have been a little over the top, but I don't think it's crazy to say. I so you could say it's a hyperbole. I would say it's a hyperbole. True. You always tell me off for not actually answering your question. Um, yeah, I, I think they're probably more likely around sixty-five percent. Um, if I had to put a number on it, but I do think that they do have a young, talented core, particularly through the midfield. Mm. Um, we've spoken about Matt Rowell and Noah Anderson at length. Took Miller's done the 26. And exactly, Sam Flanders has just come playing. in here. So th- th- I think there's a few academy prospects as well mm. um, that'll be coming through. Th- there's a lot to like about the Suns. You know, they've got, they got a nice, um, nice crop of defenders as well. You would like to see someone come and partner Ben King. Long term, yeah. I think Marbior Chol and Levi Casbol well, were serviceable that's last what year. That's they're getting with Jed Walter, so that's come that's coming in the draft this yeah. year. So, so that that's going to take a few years, but um, you know, I, I certainly think they're uh, a team on the rise. A six-year deal helps too, I think. Bit of it does. And you, bit of you, need longevity. To, you need time. I mean, this is the attractive thing where, to, to yeah. potential free agents or trade-in players as well. So, um, yeah, interesting times for the Suns. Um, D- well, just does Dusty go? No, I think he plays. He's he's. Does he play, when does he play his 300th next year? Um, I think so. I think he plays his 300th in Richmond Colours, doesn't yeah. he? He'd be go, weird if he runs out year. to 10,000 people on the Gold Coast and uh, he's playing his 300th, but maybe maybe, maybe the money's good. Who knows? Uh, Simon Goodwin's criticism of Finn McGuinness was fair enough. Another one for me. Um... So he's not interested in getting the ball. Okay, so I look at this in yeah, I, I look at this two different ways. Firstly, I commend Simon Goodwin for the honesty because we or we say it a lot. We don't get it in AF in the AFL world, particularly in, through media. We we get a lot of generic vanilla answers. I like the fact he spoke his mind and actually told us what he was thinking. But I didn't think it was fair criticism for a guy that's done his gone out there and done his job as well as anyone has. And this is the thing that drives me nuts with these defensive midfielder, tagger, cooler, whatever what you want to call it. Yes. If Sam Taylor plays on Charlie Kerno uh, this week and keeps him goalless and keeps him to six disposals, we'll be all praising how well Taylor has played. But when a midfielder does it to another midfielder, they're a hack and they're no good and they shouldn't be playing and that's it, a disgrace. For a I don't understand why we have that mindset. He's going out there to defend and he's just doing it 60 metres further up the ground so for a bloke who's technically or, or quote unquote not interested in the footy he only had one fewer disposal than Oliver yeah well that was the that was the comment um, so he no he's he's a I spoke about this after the Nick Dacos performance he did it again against Tom Liberatore and now against Clayton Oliver so he's playing on different types of players last year they played Melbourne he played on Ed Langdon and he did, the, did a similar job he's proving that he can play on different types of players and he should be doing it week in week out really quickly 
Christian, Charlie Curnow is the most impactful player in the league. He's got to be up there, doesn't he? Like... The goals. We, we sort of we don't we you know talk about joke about it on this podcast about changing our opinions based on one week worth of evidence, but you got to go look at the two years yeah now. exactly the last eighteen months has probably shown how valuable he is. Without Harry Mackay, the last six or seven weeks has probably added another layer to how valuable and how good he can be. And then that intercept mark, as I said, he he, he got back to number one mantle in our house. I think he overtook Sammy Kerr by Saturday afternoon <laughs> as being the best sportsman in the world. So he's yeah, back to number sure one. Lived. He's back to number one in my house, which is good enough. Uh, so yeah, the goals. I think the vision, the assists that he, the two the, assists, the marks to in the Matt back line. and Harry Mackay, those get the ball, wheel and go from seventy. He just. It's not that he makes it up on the fly, but he doesn't bother waiting. He just turns and then spots his guy and hits him. And that it's funny how the, the it takes a key forward to do that. We see Buddy was great at this. Tex Walker does it really well. Mm. I think Jeremy Cameron does it. Yeah, these guys that are like get it in there quick. It's like don't you know? That's what we want. That's he's, what they want. So they know yeah, what 100%. they want. Yeah. Yeah, he's fantastic. Most impactful. I reckon Toby Green. You love pound Toby for Green. pound. Fair enough. Might well, they play each other this week. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, we're at Footy Tips on Twitter. If you have any questions, comments, and feedback, we'll be back next week to uh, wrap up a big end of the home and away season. We will. We'll, we'll talk we'll be, some AFLW. Um, we're going to... Yeah, it's, it's pretty big. Yeah, so we'll be on next next week, and then the following week we'll be previewing, previewing finals. finals. Yeah. So mm. plenty to come. Stick with us. Uh, it's been fun this year, but um, a few weeks to go. We'll get there. Yeah, no, it's, it's always good. Um Two episodes a week during finals? <laughs> <laughs> we keep fighting it. Um, maybe next year, we'll see. All right, to everyone at home, we'll speak to you in the next episode. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod, wherever you get your podcasts.